0: All right, Wednesday night on the Fan Pregame 90-minute show tonight. we got four guests on the docket, starting with Frank Saravelli in about five minutes. We are less than 10 days away from the NHL trade deadline. Almost time to decide if you're a buyer or a seller or somewhere in the murky middle. We'll go through all of that and more with Frank.
1: Yeah, we're getting down to it. Raptors and Mavs tonight, 7.30 p.m. Sportsnet 1 and Sportsnet 590. The Fan, Luka Doncic. Doncic? At Scotiabank Arena, we'll have Tom Habistraw at 6.30 to discuss, and a second guest, or two guests, Smith and Jones, will come on at 7 to help us wrap up the show and tee up a big game at the bank.
0: Cabby is also going to join us uh, a little bit later in the show to, to talk about his interview with Norm Powell, which is going to debut later in the evening. I believe it's up on social media already, but you can see it on Sportsnet Central or on Sportsnet Central and Raptors Central. It's great. Clippers and Lakers also tonight. So, a Perfect preview and a nice chat with Norm.
1: And of course, best bets. I've got a very Ailish bet set up for about 25 minutes from now. So I'm pretty excited to, uh, don't look, don't look.
0: I just looked at it. Don't look at it. It's perfect. Just leave it. It's a good one.
1: And we'll uh, discuss the new PWHL rules for the postseason, which are very interesting.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited about this. Obviously, everybody knows it's the PWHL's inaugural season. When they began the season, there were still some things to figure out. Um, and they are close to doing so. But they announced today their playoff format for the inaugural season. Four of six teams will qualify, so top four teams will qualify. The team in top place will choose their opponent from either the third or fourth seed. So right now, that would be Team Montreal. Uh, they would get to choose between Toronto or Boston. If the season were to end today, Minnesota would be second. So such there's more to share, but let's stop, start on this one first. So you're first place. You get twenty-four hours after this begins to decide your opponent whether they're gonna be third or fourth seed. I just love how many storylines go into this. First of all, who's making the decision? Are the players voting? Is it the GM? Is it the coach? Are you going to try to get in your opponent's head by picking, you know, oh, third seed? Well, we're not scared of you, we'll take you on. Are you just looking at your your matchups of the season? Who did you play best against? Who do you match up best against? Who's home? Fan base can get there. I don't know. I'm just fired up about this idea.
1: Yeah, who's got the bigger ring to sell out and mm-hmm. threaten the records? Uh, I'm. I don't know if I'm big on this one. I don't know if I'm huge on Why this not? one because I just feel like when push comes to shove, athletes, professional teams are just going to go the safe route and be like, "Yeah, sure." Well, let's just honor how the st- the standings were and we'll go against the fourth seeded whatever, right? Like I just feel like.
0: But I will say before that this. The teams are so closely mm-hmm. knit and ranked in this season because there's there's all the different points that right now the difference between second, first, second, third, and fourth place are like single points away. So it's not like you're facing the Columbus Blue Jackets and you're the Maple Leafs. This no. is a team one or two points below you. But doesn't that make it more effective? In what sense? Like
1: let's say you are the New York Rangers who we think are probably going to win the Metropolitan Division. Mm-hmm. And would actually have, you know, choice, right? Like you could take on either of the wildcard teams. Maybe you cross over, you want the Toronto Maple Leafs because, hey, they haven't had that much success with their current iteration uh, or with the group that they have right now. Like there would at least be more choice. This is just three or four, which could be, you know, tightly, but and will be probably tightly bunched together regardless. Like I feel like it would be more effective if there were more teams. I
0: don't agree. Think about what we just talked about with the Maple Leafs. You know what? They don't want to play Florida. Florida doesn't match well with them. Florida's tough. Florida's the scary opponent. Maybe they want to face the Bruins. They, these teams could be just so differently structured, like, in terms of which power play is better, which PK is better, which goaltender do you think you could solve? How many Canadian national team members are you going against? Is this Canada versus Canada? Is it U.S. versus... Like, there's so much that can go into the decision. That's an
1: interesting wrinkle.
0: Like, are you going to pick, if you're Montreal, which is a very Canadian-heavy team, are you want to pick Toronto, who's basically another Canadian heavy team, or do you want to pick Boston, which is a very Uh American heavy team? There's so much strategy that will go into it. um, It's going to make the rest of the season really interesting. Right now it would be Montreal uh, in the top seed, getting an opportunity to choose between three and four. um, And then quickly the final two teams that do not make the playoffs um, will then compete for the first overall pick. So once you're eliminated from contention, it's called the gold plan. The team with the most amount of points from, the end of, from that point on to the end of the season, we will get first pick. And this is going to mean a lot because there's so much amazing NCAA talent out there. Uh, and it's going to make these games worth something. It's the opposite of tanking. It's now we want to win first overall pick. I think that's so awesome. I think the fan base is going to love cheering these bottom feeder teams on to potentially get first overall uh, for the second ever draft.
1: I'm kind of the downer because what is your problem? I just feel, again, this would work out beautifully in a bigger league, right? Because well, there's not, what there's only I, six teams, dude. I know, dude. I know, I know. And eventually the, it's going to be bigger and there'll be more variance here or mm-hmm. possibility for fireworks. But l- in all likelihood, a team gets eliminated way before the other team. Like there's going to be some sort of playoff race. It's not like five and six are just going to be eliminated, you know, five games left. And then it's a competition between mm-hmm. them. Like, likely the fifth place team gets eliminated on the final day, and the other one has already accrued a couple points, and they've already locked up the number one pick.
0: Doesn't Currently, it... that's not the, the standings. For, for example, Ottawa is uh, six points out of a playoff spot. That's hard to overcome. Number five? That's number six. And above and them, five. two points above them is New York. Nonetheless, I love the idea. It's pretty tight, right? I hope they continue this on. But it just adds incentive for the teams to try harder, to win. The fan base will be engaged. You're not going to stop watching these games. That's what the season's about, right? Uh, let's ask Frank Cervelli joining us of Daily Faceoff. Frank, what do you like? What do you not like about the new PWHL format for their inaugural playoff season?
2: I like everything. But I agree with you in the sense that... I love Frank. Justin, Justin well, you well, were saying... Give me a second. Give me no. a second. <laughs> they were probably going to say... You know, hey, we're the one seed, we'll just take number four. I mean, statistically, by and large, I understand the strategy. You're still probably more likely to take the number three, but maybe there's some variable included in what's a uniquely smaller league, maybe part of it's travel based or whatever it is that you might consider. Uh, I'm interested to see more so what it looks like later uh, when the league is bigger, especially with regards to the chase for the number one overall, or number one overall Mm -hmm. pick in the draft. And the other thing I would add is whenever we hope in the NHL that players or end or teams do something spicy when given the opportunity, just look no further than all-star weekend in your backyard where we had in the skills competition, players have the ability to choose their own goaltender. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, they were just like, Oh, I'm just going to pick the guy. That's like just right in front of me. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what, what can you, can you please add some level of excitement to this sprinkle a little hot sauce mm-hmm. on there and let's go. Maybe, The PWHL will be different, and I love that they're stepping out on a ledge from the start, the first inaugural playoffs, Mm -hmm. the first inaugural run-up to the draft. Let's do it a little bit differently than everyone else and see if they make it interesting.
0: Yeah. I think uh, I'm a bit more excited about it. And maybe it's just because I think like that crop of NCAA talent coming out, if you're just a last place team and you get Sarah Fillier, like I want to see a battle for someone like this. Like this is the second time players are going to get to join this league. I want to add a little bit of excitement. And I am also really proud of the PWHL for not just following the NHL's rules. Like they did the jailbreak rule, which has been awesome. People online, Love it. Today's discourse about these new plans uh, just shows, like, more people getting excited about it. So that, to me, is always uh, a win. Uh, Those
1: those two variables, Frank, if one could be adopted by the NHL, which do you think would be more effective? I know, like, we don't trust them to do the fun thing, but the race for the next, like, the Macklin Celebrini versus, hey, if you're Boston, number one seed, you get to pick whoever you want to pick in the first round. Like, which would you rather have the NHL adopt?
2: the ability for playoff teams to choose their opponents. Mm-hmm. I think round one in the NHL is so chaotic as it is. It's the best thing going in pro sports. Uh, let's find a way to take it to another level and add in, you know, the number one seed pick almost like a draft. You go in order one, mm-hmm. two, three, four, and you all get to pick in in the East. Um, the one that I'm a little, I don't think would work in the NHL would be the draft situation where you try and chase for that pick Mm -hmm. because yeah, some teams might get a longer runway because they're eliminated sooner, but there's a reason why those teams are at the very bottom. And it's not always just tanking. A lot of times it is a true disparity in talent. And the only way to get them back up to being competitive teams is to give them an authentic shot to get a number one pick and to take that out of their hands or to maybe limit it because their team isn't good on the ice already, part of that just defeats the purpose of why the draft lottery is in place. Yeah,
1: you'd have some wonky stuff like the Blackhawks be buying at the deadline to get (laughs) a little better to try and get the number one pick. It'd be kind of
2: weird. Look, we're 26 days away from the last trade in the NHL. If the Blackhawks are going to be buying, I'm all for this change then. Yeah, I uh, (laughs) I agree. It's
0: been been too quiet, Frank, but we're less than 10 days away from the trade deadline. So what's top of mind right now? Is it the lack of action or is it, um, you know, teams that are just making this decision in these next couple of days if they're buyers or sellers?
2: I don't think it's because teams are deciding if they're buyers or sellers. I think for the most part, the market is pretty set. There's been a little slight influx with a team like Nashville and the hot run that they've been on. I don't think it's because teams are waiting for additional cap space that they might be accruing over the following eight days leading up to the deadline. I think it's actually just due to what's a relatively thin market. Every time I talk to a manager and hit up a few this morning, the answer has been, hey, I, I like some of what I'm seeing, a small handful of guys, but the rest of the market, I'm not really sure how much they're gonna impact my team and really make them better, and the prices are still high. So right now, it makes more sense for me to just be making calls and kicking tires and trying to find if there's someone that's kind of haven't hasn't been covered on our list yet that might spring free and be available or a player with term that might, they might be able to get creative on.
1: So if there has been a development, it might be that the goaltender market has dried up. That might be, you mentioned Nashville uh, that they're on a bit of a run. UC Saros may be off the table if they're at least in a competitive situation, but also Marc-Andre Fleury, apparently, according to Elliott Friedman, uh, not going to be chasing her in ring. Minnesota will not trade him, at least according to Frege. Uh, does that change the way any team looking for a goaltender is going to have to conduct business? Does it make it harder, more difficult? What is What are those two little nuggets kind of uh, affect the market, or how do they affect the market?
2: I actually don't think anything's changed on the Marc-Andre Fleury front, and part of that is... Look, um, he did come out last weekend and say that he wants to be part of the wilds playoff chase, but right now they're six points out. And if that number grows a bit um, between now and next Friday, it, there is a possibility that with a 17 year personal playoff streak on the line, that he does raise his hand and go to the wild who don't want to trade him, but they'll fulfill his wishes if he's interested in moving. So that's one part of it. I do feel pretty confident in the reporting yesterday that I had about UC Soros not being on the move. And here's what I'll say about the goaltending market in general. It's thin because there aren't that many teams looking for it. You've got New Jersey who had been all over Jacob Markstrom, and then was certainly very much interested in UC Soros in Nashville. Um, you've got Colorado looking for a backup, and you've got maybe on the very low end of the spectrum, you've got the Carolina Hurricanes, the Kings, and a real outside chance that it's the Edmonton Oilers included in that group. So it's really one team that's driving the bus on the market. And then when you look at some of the other options available, the next guy that pops up as potentially the most likely is Jake Allen. And the Montreal Canadians have been juggling three goalies in their crease all season long. They'd like their preferences to clean that up before the end of the year to give Caden Primo some runway with Sam Montenbeau to take over the reins. Um, Jake Allen has struggled a bit, you know, compared to his career norms, but I tend to look at the 353 games that he played first in the NHL at a 911 save percentage and say, oh, the Montreal Canadiens have one retained salary slot left on their transaction board. They could retain half on Allen, bump him down to uh, $1.9 million for this year and next, and all of a sudden you have a veteran in your crease that has some stability and being paid at a number that could make him either a 1B or certainly a backup at that rate. So if I were to handicap things right now and you said, hey, there's been one goalie that's moved at each of the last four deadlines, Allen would be the guy that I would pick.
1: Uh, Chatting with Frank Saravelli of dailyfaceoff.com. So there's a couple teams facing the unique predicament of like being in a position where they maybe not didn't expect to be, but maybe where they shouldn't be. I mean, the Flames are five points out of a playoff spot. We mentioned the Predators, the Blues and Wild also chasing a playoff spot, six points back. You've got the Flyers currently holding down the third spot in the Metropolitan. A lot of those teams, maybe not all of them, were at least in the mode where, hey, we're going to sell before the deadline, or we should be selling this season to make sure that we're supporting a proper build. But then there's the incentive of playoff revenue. Are there teams that, like, can just ignore The idea of earning playoff revenue, going to the playoffs, they can just be like, no, this is not our timeline. Let's take it back despite the position that we're in.
2: That's where the Flyers are right now. I don't think playoff revenue is anything that's motivating them. I think if anything, what they're concerned about is the message sent to their players and to their market and fan base of hey, what happens if we peel back Sean Walker and Nick Sealer, who, by the way, are asking for some pretty significant raises in terms of contract extensions that I'm told right now the Flyers really aren't comfortable with. Well, if they do that, what's the reaction like to everyone else for a team that's kind of firmly in a playoff spot right now? Well, the Flyers are going to have to deal with that because let's go back to last summer and the long view of this team and how surprising it's been for them Uh, being in this spot and how well they've played and competed. That's important. But five years from now or three years from now is what's more important than being what essentially amounts to the eighth seed with the two teams from the Atlantic and the wildcard spots being slightly ahead of you. So Nashville is actually in a very similar position to the Flyers. I think they're almost comparable in some ways. Barry Trotz was saying at the beginning of this year that he thinks they're two to three years away from competing. Now, will he stand pat? Will he maybe add a little bit, sprinkle here or there, a twinkle, a tweak, excuse me, to fix their, um, you know, maybe add someone on defense or something, whatever that looks like, maybe. But for the most part, I think all of these teams, the Preds, the Blues, the Flyers, uh, you know, I'd even include a team like the Washington Capitals in that mix for someone that, um anyone that had written the caps off, they've played pretty well the last two to three weeks. And Spencer Carberry has been a tremendous coach this year in Washington. They're probably still not going to make it, and they're going to have tough decisions to make. But they're in a different position than all of them because with Alex Ovechkin, they wanted to try and be competitive this year. They wanted to take a step forward and and get back in the playoffs. I still think it's a long shot, but... They're one of the, I'd say, more key teams as we get to the next eight days with some of the pieces that they could sell, including Nick Dowd, Anthony Mantha, Joel Edmondson, and again, a real outside shot on the goaltending market in Charlie Lindgren.
1: Where do the Flames fit into that equation? They're five points back, winners of four straight playing really good right now, and they're the ones that are expected to be having that liquidation sale. Mm -hmm. Will playoff revenue kind of factor into this at all?
2: Not playoff revenue, um, but I think just from a pure rewarding a team that's really worked its butt off to get in this position is certainly something that they're looking at. And maybe there's an outside chance that this team can have its cake and eat it, too, after trading not just likely Hannafin and Tanev, but also Lindholm and go back to last summer into Foley. To be able to move those four critical pieces off of your roster and still make it probably on the back of Jacob Markstrom would be kind of incredible. It would speak to the young players that have influenced that team in a significant way. Jonathan Huberto has played way better. He's a point per game player over his last 22 or 23 games. Um, there's a lot of, I think, interesting and intriguing signs to look forward to. But for them, it's about sending the right message to the rest of the team, which I think is a big reason why they've kept Hannafin and Tanev in the lineup despite all the trade talk and very likely that they move, is they want to they send the right message to everyone that there are no nights off.
0: Did the Maple Leafs send the right message to Brad Tree Living that they should be buying, buying, buying over that last recent stretch?
2: I think they did. I think the Morgan Riley, the way they withstood that suspension really went a long way, at least in terms of telling me and probably the front office and everyone else watching that this is a team that means business. Um, That's not always easy to do with a mostly thin defense core. And I think his marching orders are really kind of quite clear now especially after watching a lineup last night with all left shooting defensemen that they really need some help. They need some depth, but we're in the same issue or predicament that we were a month ago or three months ago where the assets are still limited. And if you're going to take the bat off your shoulder and swing big, then it's probably going to have to be for a package deal that fills multiple holes at once if you're going to move out some of those future assets that this team in under previous regime has done repeatedly the last few Springs
1: last one for you, Frank, uh, who would be the most in your mind, who do you think is going to be the most aggressive buyer? Who's going to be trying to win a Stanley cup before March 8th.
2: And I, I just look at the West and it is an absolute meat grinder. You've got, Four really good teams out West that haven't done anything yet. Dallas, Colorado, Edmonton, and Vegas. You've seen Vancouver act. You've seen Winnipeg trade their first round pick. I don't think either of those two teams are done, but think of the six teams that I just mentioned. And then think of the math in that at least two of them are guaranteed to be out in the first round. That's tough to swallow. And it's also something that everyone should be keeping in the back of their mind as they go about spending these future assets is there will be a day that you'll have to answer for them. But in the meantime, they're all trying to load up and go for it. So uh, who's going to be first? I don't know, but I will be absolutely floored jaw on the floor. If all four of the, if any of those four teams don't make a consequential move between now and March 8th at 3 PM Eastern.
0: Well, I hope the next, uh, 10 days or less are very busy for you, Frank. We'll try to catch up with you next week. Thanks for coming on. Have a good one, guys. Frank Cervelli of dailyfaceoff.com. Yeah, that West. Like, the West, everybody feels like they could make a push, right? We were talking about this the other day. We were trying to pick, you know, which team we thought would have the biggest march. And Dallas and Colorado, like, two teams that, you know, they, they're right there on the cusp. Do they need to buy? How are they going to beat the other good teams in the West? It feels like that would be an act of – an act of – Side of the country. Yeah, Kind I, I have
1: Dallas circled. Like mm-hmm. uh, we've talked about, you know, there's restraints on Edmonton, right? They're going to have to make something happen, be creative yeah. to get something meaningful in. And I guess the same probably applies to the Dallas Stars, but I feel like there's more flexibility. The Colorado Avalanche getting Chushkin back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jets already made a move. Vancouver's already made a move. Like it just feels like Dallas is waiting to make something big happen because we know their owner like is pressure on to win in the Jamie Benn, Tyler Sagan era. They've transitioned well into the next phase and supported those two guys. It just feels like they, they're in the running to make like a big, big move to try and cement themselves as, as Stanley Cup favorites.
0: They had a tough loss last night to another team. in Yeah, the best, and a Colorado reminder, hey, we might
1: have a little ways to go.
0: A 5-1 loss last night, uh, so now they're second and central. Um, okay, let's do some best bets for tonight. Um, mine comes from a little NHL parlay. So the Rangers to beat the Columbus Blue Jackets by at least one and a half. We might have also laddered this a bit, but for the bet today, Rangers on the puck line and then over in the Oilers and Blues over six and a half. That's at plus 275. Uh, my favorite goal scorers of today, Chris Kreider and uh, Zach Hyman. Okay. That's it. Kreider and Hyman. All right. Uh, I'm going
1: with a very aish pick, although it's not just an aish pick because it is a combination of two things, but it's Luka Doncic's birthday today. Which means the MVP candidate who's scored 40 points in at least two of his last three games is likely to go off, at least in my opinion, against the Toronto Raptors tonight. So Luka Doncic over 40 and a half points, so 41 or more parlayed Mm. with Emmanuel Quickly's points high over or total points over uh, 26 and a half parlayed together is plus 1,800. I'm kind of in the Raptors are playing high scoring games mode Mm going to be difficult to stop Luka Doncic on your best day. And Emmanuel quickly has taken a lot of shots since the All-Star break, averaging 17 field goal attempts in the three games since the All-Star break. That's per game. So if he has a decent shooting night, I think he can eclipse 26.5. And Doncic is always a good bet to have a monstrous scoring night. So just uh, I'm expecting a high-scoring game, and we'll see if these two guys can uh, can be a big part of that.
0: Did you see how that game ended last night for the Mavs? I did, yes. Do you think that they... That's
1: my only worry is that they played last night and, and... Luka... You know, it was a
0: 59-foot buzzer beater okay. for the Cavs.
1: Maybe, maybe that helps the Yeah, tonight.
0: maybe that. I'm just saying. Those are just factors the, to consider. The
1: birthday thing is, is top of my mind. Yeah,
0: if, you know, if the Bertuzzi thing happened. Exactly. It's ah, a good pick, Justin. What's uh,
1: the What's the uh, basketball version of a hat trick? I guess it's a triple-double. Well, I already but looked.
0: I, triple-double plus 375. For I, Yeah, I might have already bet you that go. while you're talking.
1: I think he's just going to focus on one thing tonight.
0: Well, I think um, yours is a quite profitable bet, Justin. Thank you. Plus 1,800.
1: It may fail spectacularly.
0: Uh, We got a great night of basketball on the network, of course, leading with Raptors and Mavs at 730. That'll be on Sportsnet 1 and Sportsnet 590, the fan after us at 730. And then following that, the Clippers and the Lakers. That's a huge game, 10 p.m. tonight. As we mentioned, we're going to have Cabby on a little later um, in our next segment to talk about a great interview he had with Norm Powell, who's now on the Clippers, so we'll get a little bit of a tease of that. Norm was a fan favorite. Here. And
1: some six-man buzz there with the Clippers mm-hmm. for Norman Powell.
0: Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to have a little basketball half hour on the other side on the Fanbury game.
1: Everything Raptors, before and after the games. The
3: Raptor Show with Will Lou.
1: Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever
3: you get your podcasts.
0: We're back on the fan pregame Sportsnet and Sportsnet 590. The fan Raptors and Mavs tonight at 730. Clippers and Lakers tonight at 10. That's on Sportsnet 1 and Sportsnet 590. The fan. Did you see this recent dialogue about uh, maybe the game is too advantageous for the defense? For the offense? The offense. Yeah. They want to switch things up. Maybe they're going to review some of these rules or try to make some changes in the offseason.
1: I don't know. Like, yeah, I did see this, but like, is that what people want? Do people want like more '90s style I, gritty basketball? I think this is very fun. I mean, I, I, when it matters the most, I kind of want it to be a little bit more difficult to score. But in the regular season, with betting, and fantasy, and all mm-hmm. these things, that that's kind of what people want is the big stat lines and the players holding the number but on that's the white what you sheet just of bet paper. on. <laughs> that's what I'm hoping for tonight. So maybe that's playing into it a bit, but. No, I don't. I don't think they're going to make too much change, or I don't think they're going to be able to do it successfully. Mm. It's not like we'll the see. pitch clock.
0: It's not that easy. Let's ask our guest, uh, Tom Haberstroh, joining us. Uh, Tom, appreciate you jumping on. Justin and I just discussing that. You know, the NBA competition committee may be reviewing some of the balance this off season too advantageous for all the scoring, which is fun. Uh, what are your What are your thoughts on that?
3: I think it's worth vis- you know visiting that topic and seeing if there are any things to make it not just better for the defense or more competitive, but I think more movement um, in the half court offense. A lot of the offense now is in transition. And I wonder if you uh, eliminated the corner three point shot. So you don't have two guys parked in the corners at all time. And then just watching basically three on three. Um, I think that's worth looking into because the corner three is the most efficient shot. It's the closest three point shot. It's also a very popular shot in terms of, I think it is the most, um, frequent uh most common shot in the NBA and really I don't know I I'm not too much of a fan of like seeing PJ Tucker parked in the corner <laughs> shooting threes. Um so if they are going to remove some sort of advantage for the offense I think it would go a long way to the stylistic uh improvement of the game and, and increase a lot more diversity in the shots um not just the overall scoring but getting rid of the three point uh the corner three point shot and it pulling the uh, top of the key three-point shot a little bit further uh, just so that it makes it a little bit harder for the offense. I'd be open to that. Interesting. Interesting.
1: I mean, it's not like, I don't know, we wouldn't have Kawhi shot without that, right? Yeah, like you wanna, we, we need like, that. Sometimes Part of you, our history. <laughs> yeah, we're going to cling to that uh, forever. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's interesting. Like maybe there's a violation where you can't just stand in the corner forever, but I don't know. Uh, it's uh, oh, probably beyond my... Corner three actually,
3: point, a corner three seconds. You I like. might
2: maybe have, I something, have something there. there. You can't line. stand there
1: for more than five seconds. That uh, actually feels like a decent... Uh, maybe I'm a the floor,
2: la- that. floor, is, lava. That. The floor is lava the floor in the, the corners. The
1: floor is lava in the corner, okay. But it's funny. Because, you know, all uh, the Raptors included, but basketball teams are trying to cater themselves to where the game is and where the game is going. And, of course, the Raptors have made uh, their bet this year on Scottie Barnes, Emmanuel Quickly, and R.J. Barrett to a certain extent. Uh, A lot of the heavy lifting, and we've been sort of mulling over the heavy lifting for a long time in this market, what they're going to do, what they're going to look like, what they're going to do in terms of building around Scottie Barnes. In terms of their bet on these three guys as a core moving forward... Like uh, how, how wise is this? Like what sort of position do you think the Raptors are in given where they've laid their bets?
3: I think they waited too long to move Siakam and Ananobi. Um, And of course we also saw uh, Fred Van Vliet essentially leave for nothing. And I think when you look at those three players, I think if you're the Raptors, you would hope you had a higher return for them. Uh, Scotty Barnes is a foundational piece. But I would um, you know, be hesitant to consider R.J. Barrett another foundational piece. Uh, I know he's done well in his time in Toronto and a little bit of a homecoming for him, but I don't consider him a future all-star. Uh, Scotty Barnes is. So Scotty Barnes is a perennial all-star in the making. He's a young, uh, really talented player who's, um, I think, a pillar for any franchise. The other two, um, you know, when we talk about IQ and, and R.J. Barrett – Um, A little less enthused, but I can understand why you want to hold on to Siakam and see if you can get more for him um, and not, you know, basically hold on to him and see if you can make this thing work. Um, But obviously they they couldn't with that that core and decided to pivot. And I think this is going to be a retooling for them.
1: So, yeah, as you mentioned, it kind of hinges on Emmanuel quickly in a lot of ways because Scotty Barnes could be that could be in this mold of a franchise player. Uh, and R.J. Barrett, yeah, he could be serviceable, but is he going to be an all-star? Uh, yeah, probably not. I guess I would agree with you there. But I guess it all hinges then on IQ's ability to transition from a bench guy, uh, a six-man of the year, to someone who's going to run your offense, be the primary ball handler, actually go from a shooting guard to a point guard in a lot of ways. And that transition, like, is there precedent there? Like, how many guys have done what IQ is trying to do, which is go from a bench shooting guard position to you know, the primary ball handler and kind of the second option on a team that, you know, it, it wants to be a playoff team, wants to be a championship championship team, excuse me, at least one day.
3: Yeah, it's, um, I mean, he can be a serviceable point guard. Is he going to be a, the, the point guard for a championship team? I don't think so. But then again, you know, we just saw Fred Van Vliet kind of do the same thing in his career um, as a guy who was a bench guy and then was able to become a facilitator, Um, undrafted dude who uh, you know G League player who came in and I think Kyle Lowry had a similar track where it was like is this guy really um, your your point guard of the future and then he develops into that role so there's actually quite a few examples of players especially with the Toronto Raptors who have developed into a guy who can be a uh, premier point guard at that position doesn't mean that they're going to be averaging 10 assists a game. They're not going to be Tyrese Halliburton out there. Not going to be Chris Paul, not going to be Luka Doncic. but I don't think they're asking Emmanuel quickly to be that, uh, but to be a serviceable starting point guard in today's NBA, I think that's possible for him. Um, it's not there yet. Uh, he's been very productive and I like what I've seen in that transition, um, but he's young too. So I don't want to write him off, but there is precedent for that. It's just, you know, is, is that guy going to be um, a bankable uh, piece for you going forward as a point guard? I think he's, he's a solid option there at point guard. Um, but the, you don't have to look too far to find examples of people who succeeded in that transition. Mm.
0: You mentioned Luka Doncic and obviously the Raptors are going to see him tonight. Uh, they had a, a tough loss last night, uh, but I think they're going to be fired up for this one tonight. Where does Luka stand in the MVP race for you when you specifically think about where Dallas might go down the road with the rest of the season?
3: Yeah, he's one of the best players in the league. I just think that Shea Gill like just Alexander has a better case. Um, you know, the two way play of of Shea is incredible. He's a guy who's leading the steals column by a mile, um, and he's also averaging thirty plus points and leading. Um, what I think is the most exciting team in the NBA is the, the young youngest team in the NBA, the Oklahoma City Thunder, who are forty one and seventeen. So, um, Luca's been sensational. I just think um, two-way player, Shea Gilchrist-Alexander, has my vote.
0: As Canadians, we love that. Don't worry.
1: (laughs) We absolutely love to hear that. Uh, (laughs) You recently wrote about the Heat, that you're buying the Heat as title contenders. Uh, What is it about the Heat that has your attention and is part of that reason that, hey, the Eastern Conference is kind of wide open. I mean, Boston has found a way to give it away despite their brilliance this regular season. Philly without Joel Embiid, Doc Rivers in the Milwaukee Bucks. Is this just there's a pathway or you just you know look at these teams objectively as they are and you really like what the Miami Heat are, are offering?
3: Yeah, it's a little bit of both. The uh, it's a it's a product of the open pathway or the open race of the Eastern Conference. They're certainly not afraid of the Boston Celtics, a team that they've had their number for the last you know several years. Um, when they're not even favored in the series, they seem to just have an ability to make them. Uh, you know, roll up like an armadillo on its back in the middle of, you know, crunch time offense and the Miami heat zone defense, as I've written about on TomTheFinder.com, the column to right. You're referring to um, I put in there, the second spectrum data about how much they're going to the zone defense, which there's only one playoff coach or likely playoff coach who uses zone defense like Eric Spolster does. And it is stifling and suffocating opposing offenses. The other night against Sacramento, again, um, against Portland last night. And then, of course, against the uh, the New Orleans Pelicans with Zion Williamson. The, the zone defense is legit. It is a weapon. It's a secret weapon for the Miami Heat, and they're doing it a lot more now recently. And Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, Eric Spolstra, when those three individuals are playing or at least out there for the Miami Heat, I, I don't know if I bet against them in any Eastern Conference series. I, that's how much I, I believe in them. You know, they've been as a core – to two NBA finals and they've way punched above their weight. So I think when you talk about Miami heat um, with the, the Knicks who are lumbering with a lot of injuries and then the question marks around doc rivers and and Damian Lillard in their first year together or fast first half season together. I just think the Miami heat are are a sleeping giant right now.
1: Yeah. Winners of five straight games in a dangerous position. As you mentioned right now, they'd be matched up with the New York Knicks in the first round of the playoffs. I know we're a long way away. But then they'd be seeing the Boston Celtics lightly. And, of course, uh, there is some PTSD there. Uh, if they do go on a run, it's possible then, then we get a rematch of the uh, the NBA, NBA Finals last year with the Nuggets coming out of the Western Conference. Now, they're not a number one seed right now. They're chasing Shea's OKC and also the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Clippers in there as well. But if I'm looking at, you know, who's real and what's legitimate and what can change When we go from regular season basketball to the postseason, well, I'm going to be favoring the Denver Nuggets in that situation. Uh, What's your read on Denver, and are they the favorites to repeat?
3: Yeah, to me, they should be the favorites. Um, Jokic, it feels like to me that they're just trying to get to the postseason healthy, and they have some depth issues. Um, You know, they lost a couple core pieces. Uh, last year, Jeff Green no longer with the team. Um, Ish Smith, as much as he's, you know, end of a bench guy, uh, I think he was an integral part of that leadership with that team last year. And I do think that they're going to miss, you know, those veterans, and they're trying to lean on younger guys. Uh, and they lost Bruce Brown, of course, um, in the offseason as well. So not having Jeff Green and Bruce Brown um, and inserting a couple of young guys into the rotation, that's going to be, something to watch in the postseason, but ultimately it's going to land on those shin splints for Jamal Murray, who's, you know, laboring through some, some injuries there. And in order for the, the Nuggets to win, I think you can lock it up that Jokic is going to show up. He's the most unguardable player in the, in the NBA right now. Um, and I think when you look at their Denver Nuggets chances, it's really going to be about those role players. Um, you know, I was talking to some people in the NBA this week uh, that we're just, you know, almost like, yeah, Miami Heat, I'm not worried about them. Denver Nuggets, not worried about them. As long as they're healthy, they should be the favorites in each of the conferences. Because of that veteran leadership and because of the coaching and because of the fact that they've been there before, um, I suspect that you'll see Denver right at the end as well as the Miami Heat.
1: Uh, you mentioned that you, uh, you favor Shea over Luka in terms of the MVP race. Uh, how do those two compare, or I guess how does Shea compare, to Jokic when looking at the MVP race?
3: So for me, um, a lot of it has to do with the expectations of both of those teams. And Shea Gilgis-Alexander, by EPM, estimated plus-minus, he's been the superior player. Estimated plus-minus you can find on dunks and threes is my favorite all-in-one metric um, that looks at your your full season performance um, based on your box score metrics and your on-court, off-court data, how well you do compared to um, how well your team does compared to when you're on the bench versus when you're playing. And this season, Shea Gilders Alexander uh, has 16 estimated wins, and Nikola Jokic has 12, Shea Gilders SGA being number one in the NBA in that category. And I don't need to tell you um, just what he means to that OKC offense. He's, he's sensational. He's played in one more game than Jokic, and when it comes to a race that close, every minute counts. So he's played more minutes. Uh, he's played at a higher level. The defense has been better. Uh, the number of turnovers that he's caused has been, uh, you know, kind of a, a revelation this season for SGA. So to me, uh, it goes Shea, Jokic, Giannis, and Doncic for the top four in MVP.
0: Well, we will have you on any time you want to Say great things about Shay because uh, it keeps us uh, excited up here in Toronto. And of course, he's our guy, our Canadian guy. We're looking forward to seeing him this summer, hopefully at the Olympics, and all goes well. Uh, Tom, we appreciate your time today. TomTheFinder.com. We can get all your stuff there. It's really great. I uh, hope we get a chance to chat with you down the road. You got it. Thanks so much, Tom Haberstrow. Uh, anytime we get Shay talk, just it's a nice pulse check from outside media because the thing here, we're all fired up about Shay. He's Canadian. You know, you want him on the Raptors in a few years. Who doesn't? <laughs> yeah, but when you hear international or American media, they putting him in like top slot for an MVP. It could be we could be seeing something like so he, special. He,
1: he's definitely got the inside track on it. If he's that yeah. much ahead of Doncic, and I believe what Tom said about Denver just kind of getting back to the playoffs, whatever it means by any means necessary. Mm-hmm. And that's like not, hey, we got to do everything to get there. We got to actually rest guys and we got to make sure that Nikola Jokic is not fatigued going into the playoffs because that's when he's got to be ready like it just feels like the one guy who doesn't earn is not affected excuse me by like anything going on with team Mm. is Shea because they need Shea to be in the position that they're in and and OKC is probably just going to ride him until the end of the season that puts him in a great position to put up MVP numbers.
0: Um, We're going to wait. Oh, we're getting Cabby right now. I said we were going to wait for him, but he's eager to chat. Uh, Cabby joins us. Cabby, what's going on, buddy? We haven't seen you in a while.
4: Uh, that's true. Um, I'm always eager and I'm, I'm always ready to chat. You guys know that I'm the enemy of silence. So that's why I'm here.
0: <laughs> well, then you're perfect for a radio show. Um, how, so we're so excited. We saw a little tidbit of your um, Norm Powell interview. I know that's going to be up a little later, so we don't want to spoil it. But good to see you back doing cabbie versus. This is a really fun one. So why Norm first? Like what draws you to want? I know you love talking to athletes, but Norm is your guy. Norm is a like, great storyteller and he's a Raptors guy through and through.
4: Yeah, Norm. You know, we had a couple of—I don't think he would mind me saying—we had a couple of fun nights in Las Vegas when I lived there. <laughs> so uh, I said, Norm, like when I'm back doing interviews again, we got to line it up. And we've been we've been chatting like over the summer a little bit. And actually, I saw him when I, when when the Golden Knights were playing the Florida Panthers. This was the last time I saw him, and uh, just a, a couple months ago, I'm like, Norm, are you ready? I'm ready for an interview. So. He's been bawling. He's mm-hmm. almost like a 50, 40, 90 guy in contention for a six man of the year. So I was like, this is the perfect time. Also, the last time I interviewed Norm, he poured a full bottle of champagne on my head and it burned my eyes. <laughs> like, if you guys are ever in a situation where people are drinking champagne and they're celebrating, absolutely get the goggles on mm-hmm. because it, it it singes your cornea and some of the bubbles goes into your like into your retina. Oh and it's at like that top layer, just kind of simple. <laughs> And then it like, it messes with you for about 14 minutes. And then you just smell mm. for the rest of the night. So um, there are no hijinks like that in this particular conversation. <laughs> but I'm happy to talk to Norm again.
1: Well, of course, he's got experience with the champagne. Mm. Uh, of course. And uh, that's part of it, right? Because this is an athlete who was never Kawhi Leonard level, was never Kyle Lowry level, was not, you know, we're not. And you guys talk about, you know, statues and who should be uh, honored first with the Toronto Raptors 30th anniversary next year. But Norm resonates in the city of Toronto for some reason. What what is that reason for you?
4: That's a you know what? It's because Toronto's so blue collar. And Norm isn't flashy. He had some big dunks. I remember one against Indiana. I think he said like the balls. Remember that one like tomahawk on a on a <laughs> I think it was a steal and a fast break. Uh but he's so blue collar and again not flashy. None of the Raptors were well Vince was flashy and Damar had some his footwork was amazing. He was like Kobe Light. Uh, but you know, so many of the guys that Toronto embraced weren't flashy. They were kind of lunch mm-hmm. pale, you know, uh, ten and twelve type of dudes. You know, Demar and Kyle and Chris Bosh and Vince obviously would light up the scoreboard. But, but like even Freddie and Pascal, they had great moments where they scored a ton. I think Pascal, Pascal had was it fifty or sixty before he went to Indiana. Either way, Norm is one of those dudes where his 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 whole vibe. Uh, just really suited the city because he was just a, a hardworking dude and and never complained. Didn't demand a trade. Didn't want to leave Toronto after five and a half years. Was sent to Portland, and uh, we have a special uh, place in our hearts for. I'm saying we as in a person that grew up I in agree. Toronto, not uh, exclusively a Toronto fan. Uh, but we have a special place in our heart uh, for Norm Powell.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of love about like the culture of that team, right? And you know, sometimes yeah. I think we've been searching for it again, and maybe it needs to be you know rebuilt from the bottom up. But Norm was certainly a part of that. And I know in a part of your interview, and I don't want to spoil it because I want people to see it. But um, no, you,
4: guys, you can you can give out uh, okay. spoilers. That's fine. There's I mean, the you, Vince hopefully Carter. Watch it anyway.
0: No, no, and we're all uh, we're sharing it with the world. Uh, Vince Carter and the very first statue possibly outside of Scotiabank Arena. So were you surprised when you asked um, Norm? You know. If there was to be one, one the very first uh, statue he picked, Vince Carter, who's obviously in the media right now, he might be a hall of famer and he might want to get his jersey retired. Was that a surprising answer to you?
4: Yes, (laughs) I mean, uh, I mean, Vince heights were very high, and he, you know, brought the spotlight over to Toronto because you know people didn't really. I mean, Damon Stoudemire left, Tracy McGrady left, and Vince was here for a few more years but Kyle was like the emotional mm-hmm. leader of this squad and talk about a lunch pill guy, super high basketball IQ just made winning plays and played winning basketball and was either the second best or the third best player on a championship team. My guys remember it's like, remember in 19 like a quarter of the team had like busted thumbs. Like everybody's running like <laughs> big thumb wrap, like, and yeah. if, you're a, if you're a point guard and you're handling the ball, you're dribbling the ball, I don't know, 12,000 times a game, that's got to hurt. <laughs> and not to I don't want to compare basketball players to hockey players because they play through excruciating mm-hmm. amount of pain, but there's a certain level of tough, toughness mm-hmm. mentally and physically that you have to play with. And obviously Kyle helped to take Toronto to heights it's never been before and certainly not in, in Vince's or Chris's era. So that's why I say Kyle should get a first one, the first statue. And the backside should be sizable like it yes. should have a huge bumper. <laughs> you know what I mean. And I yeah. shouldn't be commenting on another dude's backside. I'm a dude with a huge backside. <laughs> so if they want to do like just the like the like the quarter scale version first, uh then you know, we, using my fat backside. <laughs> then they, they
1: get Accuracy is important. So let's get let's get the size <laughs> yeah. of the backside right. It's a, it's an important yeah. part of history. Uh, uh, a lot boy. of this season has been about appreciation for the past. It just seems like you know with Pascal moving on, OG moving on, your interview with Norm kyle like it just seems like we've been talking a lot about a couple years ago and beyond but let's talk for a moment about this year and the bet on scotty Barnes, iq rj barrett how hopeful are you for the future of the raptors
4: super hopeful it's a full i think masai called it a retool it's a full it's a rebuild i mean we know what it is and the future is bright those guys like RJ is 23 and Scotty Barnes yep. is 22. Like mm. these guys are like 5 6 years away from their primes. So if they stay together and IQ is 24 25, like the future is bright and obviously Bobby Marks and and um, Masai will put pieces around around them to build, but I I'm, I'm super hopeful You know, sports are cyclical. As you guys know, we cover it. We talk about it every day. So it's, you know, kind of a downturn right now. But the future is bright with those three, for sure. And I'm super confident in um, Lord Ujiri that we'll have another, like, we'll have a winning squad in a year or two, a a very competitive squad.
0: I got one last one for you, Cabby. You've gotten to chat with basically anyone uh, that's ever played a sport, but is there any ever a player or a person like your white whale, you just can't get them and you want to, you want to interview them, but you just haven't made it at work. I mean, you got Norm. So who's next in line? Yeah.
4: Well, Norm wasn't on that list, but (laughs) I, 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 I I love him dearly. Um, Well, Tiger was one that uh, avoided, has avoided me for the longest time. And Mm -hmm. this is a weird twist of fate, but, November 29th, we get accredited to go to Tiger's. He has his own tournament Mm -hmm. in California. And then on like December 1st, his car crashes into like a fire hydrant in his. Mm -hmm. So then that was the closest. And we weren't guaranteed an interview. I wasn't guaranteed an interview Mm -hmm. with Tiger. But once I got there, I would have kind of, you know, figured out a way to get three or four minutes (laughs) with him. So Tiger is one that I've always loved. And I want to make him laugh like organically and Mm -hmm. because he's so guarded and he's so like, it's so polished and poised, but I want to crack through that and get him to, laugh about whatever. So if I had the opportunity for Tiger, that would be a, a huge win for me in
0: my career. Well, if Tiger Woods is listening, Tiger, let's make it happen. Cabby let's wants to interview oh, you. Dude. Let's like, go. I wear my Sunday's finest or whatever that sun- new brand is called. <laughs> it's Sunday Red, so get that right Sunday first, red. and then, you know, we'll we'll try to do our best to get Tiger <laughs> to meet up with you. Uh, Cabby, well, this was fun. Everybody can check out Verse and Norm Powell today. It'll be up on YouTube. It's going to be up on uh, Sportsnet and Raptors Central and a little bit of I think it's already up on social media. So, Cabby, appreciate your time. and We'll chat soon. My pleasure. Great to see you both. Good Ailes to see and GC. You. Uh, Bye. That's Cabby. I'm sportsnet. Uh, that's fun. It's always great to hear his energy. Uh, he just loves chatting with, chatting with athletes. I, Tiger Woods is a great answer.
1: Tiger versus Cabby would be just remarkable. Yeah. And he's right about Like him making it. Like I, 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 like, I want to
0: see Tiger eh, I think he would,
1: he'd be able to retire happy if oh, he yeah. made Tiger Woods laugh once, I think. By the way tom haberstroh is pretty pretty set on miami pretty set on denver mm. 46 to one exact finals matchup i love that you
0: had that right 46
1: to one i know what i'm doing in the break
0: <sighs> i guess we'll have to get the apps back open <laughs> <laughs> uh we will be taking a quick break and on the other side we'll have toronto and dallas teeing up here on Sportsnet 590 the fan will talk to the guys are calling the game smith and jones and then we will send it to them in about half an hour. Uh, that's next up on Sportsnet 590. The Fan, you can watch that game on Sportsnet 1, followed by the Clippers and the Lakers. And then later tonight on Sportsnet, Edmonton and St. Louis, 8 p.m. So a little bit of a later start for hockey tonight. All that to come. We'll be back on the Fan Free Game.